following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Well, today's sermon is entitled, Forget the Past. And uh, as it happens, I have a pretty good dad joke about the past. Would you like to hear it? Yes. Yeah. Well, the thing about dad jokes, as most of you know, is that you hear them whether you want to or not. <laughs> There's ear protection back. <laughs> yes, yes. If, you need the, if your children need the hearing protection right now, yeah, just ask the coffee volunteer. Um, here it is. Uh, do not think about the past because you cannot change it. Do not think about the future because you never know what will happen. And do not think about the present because I did not get you one. <laughs> it's pretty good, right? It's pretty good. I used that at Christmas. It didn't, it didn't go over very well. <laughs> so I want to start with a question. We, uh, we're, I hope we'll be a little bit more interactive today than usual. Um, so I'm going to ask you to shout out answers to me uh, on occasion. Um, so... But this one, this first one is not going to be uh, a shout-out answer one. It's going to be more of a hand-raising poll uh, situation. So of the two things, which is more true for you? Which do you find yourself worrying more about, the past or the future? Which do you find yourself worrying more about, the past or the future? Have you got your answer? Okay. Um, how many of you worry more about the future than the past? Okay. And how many worry more about the past than the future? Okay. Yeah. How many of you just said yes when I answered, which do you worry about? Yeah, okay. I heard somebody whisper it. <laughs> yeah, there is no shame in that. How about this one? Let's put a little bit more of a positive spin on it. When it comes to dreaming, do you find yourself dreaming more about the past or dreaming more about the future? How many of you dream more about the past? Okay. How many of you dream more about the future? Yeah. Okay, so the future is, is winning in both polls. Not that it's about winning and losing, but that just seems to be where it's going. Um, I personally have found myself, even this past weekend, dreaming about both the past and the future. Um, as Tim mentioned during our prayer time, that uh, my family and I are going on sabbatical. This is actually um, I have four more Sundays counting today with you before I'm going to be gone for four months. And so we are dreaming about that um, not the part about being away from you, um, <laughs> but about all the travel that we're going to do and the, the fun things that we're able to do um, because of the grant that we were awarded and all that stuff. So I've been dreaming about the, the future. <laughs> um, but also I've been dreaming a little bit about the past because we had some really good college friends in town this past weekend. And uh, I, I'm learning, like, I'm having to admit that college was longer ago for me than I, than I sort of feel like it was, Right? Um, you know that whole thing about the 90s were 10 years ago? <laughs> uh, that's kind of how I feel about college, um, even though it was 20. But, so we had these really good friends um, in our house uh, over the past weekend, and it was causing me to sort of dream about the past. And we were, ta- we were talking about the music that we listened to in college, because the 90s music is so much better than the music today, and all that kind of good stuff. <laughs> um, but if the sermon is entitled Forget the Past... <laughs> Uh, we can't be doing that. can't be dwelling on nirvana. We have to move on. <laughs> I want to think about forgetting the past, particularly in the context of our Lenten theme, which is change your mind. Uh, if you've been with us, you've heard me talk about this. If it's your first Sunday with you, let me give you a quick overview. Typically, the season of Lent, as we lead up toward Easter, is characterized by repentance. And um, 
that, has a, that word carries a lot of baggage for many of us, but the, the word in the Bible, in the original languages, which is translated as repentance, literally means to change your mind. And so during this season of Lent, when we're, when we're engaging in this season of repentance, I've been asking you to think about changing your mind. And changing your mind can be spiritually challenging, but it can be spiritually powerful as well. And so we have this key verse from Romans 12 that we've returned to each time, and I always ask you to say the second half of it with me. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Did it make it onto the screen? It did. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Change your mind during Lent. That's the challenge, right? And so as we think about the past and the idea of forgetting the past, you see how that kind of maybe, maybe it'll fit right in with the idea of changing our mind. So here's my next question for you, and you can, you can shout out answers to this one. Why do, um, why do we find it so hard to forget the past? Because it informs our present. Okay, it informs our present, yes. Sometimes it's traumatic. Sometimes it's traumatic. It's very hard to forget something that was an experience of trauma. Yes, what else? You feel guilty about decisions we made. Ah, guilty about decisions we made. So maybe regret. It can't be changed. It can't be changed, yes. Wow. Hmm. Humans rely on it for survival, like remembering what happened before, like I shouldn't touch the stove again. Uh-huh, uh-huh, <laughs> yes, yes, uh, I think uh, it's baked into our natural selection, I think is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Because we miss people. Because we miss people, yes, yes. So far, I'm hearing a lot of kind of negative reasons that it's hard to forget the past. Are there any positive reasons why it's hard to forget the past? Because something really great happened. Something really great happened. I want to relive that former glory. Yeah. We can learn from it. We can learn from it. Yeah. Yeah. It's usually emotion attached. So really good and really bad. It's an excellent observation that, that there's emotion attached to it. And whether it's good or bad, that kind of makes it sort of indelible for us. It's, it's, yeah, yeah, it's hard to let go of that. Well, as I was thinking about this idea of forget the past, and I'm like, do I really want to title a sermon forget the past? Or is that, you know, is that going to be hard for some people to think about, right? Because the truth is, I just need you to know this about me that I've been quite fortunate in my life. I don't have any significant experiences of, of trauma that, that I carry with me right now. Um, I've had lots and lots of good days and weeks and years in my life, and I'm, I'm fortunate and grateful for that. I know that's not true for everybody. And so for me to say, forget the past, if that comes off as a little bit kind of like... Um, well, like, hard to hear. I'll just ask you to stick with me, and maybe we can get to the same place by the, by the end of this um, sermon today. But whether your reason for having difficulty forgetting the past, or my reason for having difficulty forgetting the past, whether it's because of something good or something bad, I, I do think that today's scripture readings uh, have a healthy challenge in store for all of us. 
And so I want to go to the first one of those that I want to look at today now, and it's from Philippians chapter 3. If you want to find it, if you're a person who likes to read along in the Bible, you can grab one of the red Bibles in the seat pockets and turn to page 954. You can also find the Bible in the Artisan Church app, or maybe you have a Bible app on your phone already, or you just want to search on your search engine for Philippians 3, it'll come up. So this is a letter from Paul, a leader in the church, back to one of the churches, the church in Philippi. And here's what he says. Halfway through verse 4 of chapter 3. If anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Yet, whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind... And straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. This is like fairly stark language about forgetting the past. It's where the title of the sermon comes from. Forgetting what lies behind. Unequivocal, isn't it? Why is it that this author seems to have such a negative view of the past? Now, I think there's some context clues in this passage so that even if you've never opened a Bible before, you might have some idea of that. But if you have some extra Bible knowledge you want to bring to that question, that's totally fine too. Why is it that Paul seems to have such a negative view of the past? Go ahead and shout out an answer. He's done a complete 180. He's done a complete 180. He had, a, he had a, like what we think of traditionally as repentance. He switched around completely, changed his mind. That's what you were going to say too? Yeah. He did some really bad things. Yeah, so he might want to say, forget the past, forgetting the past. Whatever I've done, what's done is done. I'm going to, I'm going to forget that. He what else? He did some bad things and was really proud of having done them. <laughs> yes, he did some bad things and was really proud of having done them. Yep, absolutely. His past was tied to adherence to the law. Ah. His past was tied to adherence to the law. And now he's made this, this great transition but it was also responsible for his uh, thinking about it and understanding um, that it was through Jesus that he could work Yeah, I think I hear you saying that he's saying because he was so tied to that, that worldview, it, that made his conversion all the more powerful. It sort of set him up to fully understand what he needed in Jesus. Yeah, right? 
I got the sense in reading this, and the, one of the reasons I love doing this on occasion is because uh, the, the group's wisdom uh, surpasses my own. And I, I think in, both in the first service and in the second service now, um, you have settled on a, a reading of this that's a little different from where I came from, which was, I, think he, I was thinking he wants to forget the past because it would be such a cause for celebration for him. He doesn't want to dwell on his glory. Did you see that whole list of things he listed out? Basically about how good a religious person he was. It happened to be uh, being Jewish for him, obviously. Uh, but he was the, the cream of the crop in all these different ways. Nobody had any more reason to boast than he did. Now, he has come to this repentance point where he realizes those are the wrong things to be boasting about. But have you ever met somebody who... <laughs> who hasn't gotten that realization, and the reason they live in the past is because they had some serious past glory. I call that Uncle Rico syndrome. (laughs) Back in 82, right? That that kind of thing. So maybe it's in part that he doesn't want to dwell on this former glory. It certainly seems, uh, as you've kind of shared, that he also is realizing that that was the wrong thing to celebrate anyway. So given this author's view of the past. What do you think, what do you sense, what did you read or hear uh, in his thinking about the future? Because he does make this pivot from the past to the future. Forgetting what lies behind, I press on toward the goal. Um, what emotion or state would he be in um, or thinking about the future? He looks toward the future with blank. What would fill in the blank in that sentence? Faith, did you say? Anticipation. Anticipation, yeah. Hope. Hope, good, yeah. Zeal. Zeal, yeah. Does he seem wishy-washy about this at all? Paul doesn't really seem wishy-washy about much (laughs) in the scriptures, um, which makes some of us love him and some of us not so much love him. Yeah. My word was determination. He's looking toward the future with this confidence and determination, and, and it's, uh, to me, more than even anticipation, but expectation. He knows uh, who owns his soul, and he knows where he's going in his life. Right. So that's the first text I wanted to look at. I, I want to look now at, that's a, and this is a, that's a Christian scripture, a New Testament scripture. I want to look at one of the Hebrew Bible passages uh, from, from what we call the Old Testament, and uh, that's from the lectionary's assignments today, too. The lectionary really dropped a nice gift on us here. There's all this nice uh, integration of these texts. This is from Isaiah chapter 43. Uh, I think I have all of it that I'm going to read on the screen, so you don't need to open it up if you don't want to. Isaiah 43, 18 and 19 says, Do not remember the former things or consider the things of old. I am about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? Once again, it's a pretty strong statement. Do not remember the former things. Now I want to go through this one and think about it the same way we thought about the passage from Philippians. And I want to ask you, why does this author seem to have a negative view of the past? This is a much different experience that this person has had than the experience that the Apostle Paul had. Why does this author have a negative view of the past so much that he would say, do not remember the former things? In this case, we don't have quite as much in the way of context clues, so you might not know the answer at all. This is um, 
This is why I think it's so beneficial to spend a little bit of time understanding when and why books of the Bible were written, not just memorizing the words in them, although that's wonderful to do, but understanding why they were written and when and where and for what reason is really important. And in this case, we want to know why is he saying don't remember the former things? Well, the book of Isaiah, uh, first of all, not all of it was probably written by Isaiah, Isaiah, right? This is the first bit of it was written by Isaiah, the prophet, at a certain time. And then for probably a couple of centuries, at least afterward, they kept adding to it in the voice of the prophet Isaiah. Right? And this part of the book uh, seems to have been written during the time when the Israelites had been conquered by the Babylonians, carried out of their, their, their land, the, the promised land that they'd been given, carried out uh, of the holy city of Jerusalem, where the temple, where they had worshipped, where they understood God's presence to be localized physically, had been destroyed, and now they're off in exile in Babylon somewhere. And the, the word of the Lord comes to the prophet Isaiah, and Isaiah says to the people, do not remember the former things. Could you imagine why the Israelites might have been remembering the former things? they not only would have been remembering the days of old when they were safe and secure and could worship in their holy city, but they probably also were remembering the horrible days in between where they had been conquered, where there had been great violence done to them, where they had been carried away from everything they knew and loved, including their, their God's physical presence, and now we're in exile. So when, when Isaiah says to them, do not remember the former things. There's a whole lot of baggage that he's basically saying to them, don't dwell in that. So then, in this passage, as in the Philippians passage, there's a pivot from the past to the future. And, and if we had to think about this uh, in the same way, uh, if Isaiah would say to the people, look toward the future with what? What would fill in the blank this time? What do you have? Anticipation. Anticipation. Yeah, that's the first one that comes to mind for me. Yes. Expectation. Expectation. Yeah. Yeah. Because what he says, remember, is, I'm about to do a new thing. See? Do you not perceive it? Yeah. What else? Look toward the future with... Optimism. Optimism. Yes, it seems like a very positive encouragement here. Which, if you think about that again, in the context of what's happened to the people at this moment in time, you know, talk about telling somebody who has lots of reasons not to be optimistic that they should be optimistic. All right, so there's two passages so far that seem to have uh, at least a somewhat negative view of the past. One, because it would be too tempting to get caught up in the former prestige or that it would be too tempting to get bogged down in the horrible things that they'd done. And in that case, the future then is something to be entered with confidence, the confidence that comes with carrying the glory of Christ. And then a second passage, which seems to be on the whole negative toward the past because probably it would be very likely to cause sorrow and anxiety in the hearts of the people. And in that case then, the future becomes something to be joyfully anticipated and maybe waited for with some patience. Because wouldn't that require patience to, 
to, to look toward a future that's more optimistic when you don't know that it's coming yet? Now I want to look at a third and final text from the lectionary readings today and see what it has to say about the past. I think it has a little bit of a different take on the past, and I wonder what that might have for us. Um, it's the, the psalm that was read uh, at the call to worship today. Psalm 126. You can listen to it, or if you'd like to turn to 499 in the Red Bibles and read along, you're encouraged to do that as well. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we rejoiced. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the watercourses in the Negev. May those who sow in tears reap with shouts of joy. Those who go out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, carrying their sheaves. So what view of the past does the psalmist take in Psalm 126? Is it on the whole negative as with Philippians 3 and Isaiah 43? No. It's actually quite positive, isn't it? It's, it's one of remembrance. Don't forget what God has done. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Our mouths with, were filled with laughter. The Lord has done great things for us and we rejoiced. And here again, for a third time, we have a pivot from the past to the future, from thinking about the past in a particular way to thinking about the future in a particular way. What do you think the psalmist's view of the future seems to be? How would the psalmist finish that same sentence we've asked, uh, or we've, we've assigned to the other authors? Look toward the future with, with hope. Trust. With trust, yes. And why trust? Because there's evidence that God has been present with us in the past. Now, I'll stress again that the, the timing is everything in this kind of situation. One author writes uh, and thinks about the past negatively because of where that author is situated on the, the span of time. And another one writes uh, about the past and writes about it positively because of where they're situated on the span of time. In this case, by the way, this psalm seems very much to me to have been written after the return from exile. When the Persians came through and took over what the Babylonians had started, they allowed the Israelites to come back to Jerusalem and rebuild their temple. And this is a psalm of ascents. A-S-C-E-N-T-S. Like going up. Why, why is it called a psalm of ascents? Does anybody know? They would sing it as they went up to Jerusalem. That's right. Jerusalem and the temple. It's on a hill. So they would sing it as they were going up the hill. I had a college professor who asked, asked the class that question once, and I was like, is it because the songs went up to the Lord like incense? And he's like, that's a really good guess, but you're wrong. <laughs> uh, yes, a psalm of ascent is when you go up to worship, you'd sing it on the way. And these were people who were remembering that the Lord had restored their fortunes, that they had been carried off into exile, and then that God had brought them back to the holy city. 
back to the promised land. And so the psalmist seems to be encouraging people to look toward the future with trust because of their remembrance of the past. And so to me, this text, more so than the other two, is an integrated picture that, that we can maybe learn from as we think about our own past and our own future. A view uh, of a God who is present with God's people in the past, in the present, and in the future. So the title, Forget the Past, is intentionally a little bit tongue-in-cheek. Yes, some of us need to forget the past. If we have Uncle Rico syndrome, if we're, if we're dwelling on past glories and we can't get anything done today because we can't stop thinking about what, the way it used to be, we need to forget the past, right? Um, uh, on a much more challenging and difficult and, and probably uh, time-consuming and taxing way, if, if we are dwelling on past pain and wounds and embarrassment... Um, we might want to try to forget the past too. That, that might require lots of time and therapy and that's okay. But for the most part, I think that we as people of faith, particularly as a community of faith, ought not to forget the past entirely, but rather to remember the past, remember God's presence and provision with us so that when we think about the future, we can think about it with anticipation and joy and confidence and trust that God will be with us no matter what comes, just as God was with us all along. And I love that we get this most integrated picture, first of all, in a song. <laughs> um, I love that the, the best, in my, in my view, like the most integrated picture is, is from the song, right? Um, being a, a musician and loving music and, and finding truth in that particular art form, it, it gives me joy um, to see that this is the way it shook out in this case. But I also love that the psalmist is addressing a community of people. And this is what I want to leave you with, because yes, it might be hard to forget the past. Yes, it might be terrifying to think of the future. Yes, there might be days when you alone by yourself cannot do that. But the beauty and purpose of being in spiritual community with each other is, among many other things, in part, that we get to bear one another's burdens. That if there's a day when I cannot, I cannot even, right? If there's a day when I can't uh, look to the past and, and see God's hand, if, I, if it's just darkness to me, and therefore can't move into the future with confidence or with trust, it gives me reassurance to know that there's a whole community of people here with me and, and that some of you are on the other side of the, the sine wave of life's experiences. Some of you are on the side where you, where you are remembering God's presence and goodness and you can take my hand and bear me up and carry me along the way. And the next time it needs to be done, our roles might be reversed and that is what community looks like. So let us move forward into a future with a good God who is with us, who loves us. And let us move forward into that future with confidence and joy because we move forward together as a community of faith. Let's pray together.
God, we come to these scriptures, some of us uh, lamenting our past, some of us stuck in our past, some of us um, reliving our past. We come, some of us fearful of the future, some of us anticipating the future, some of us excited, some of us afraid. Each one of us comes to these stories with something different, and we are grateful to you for the, the breadth of picture that we get from these three scriptural accounts. And we pray that you would help us to remember your presence with us in the past, particularly when it's difficult to see your presence with us now. Help us to trust you and to move forward into a future with confidence. And Lord, most of all, help us to be present and real with each other. Help us to be your presence and realness for each other as we experience this beloved community as your body. Make it true for us and real for us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we are going to take communion in just a moment, and uh, your kids who are in the classrooms, are, you're invited to bring them down for communion or right after communion. Um, Artisan's communion table is an open table, which means that all of you are welcomed to come and partake of this sacrament, this means of grace. Uh, take a piece of the bread and remember Christ's body, which is broken for you. Dip it in one of the cups, remembering Christ's blood, which is shed for the forgiveness of sins. May it be the real presence of Jesus the Savior. May it be sustenance on your spiritual journey. And may it be an act of unity with each other. Uh, as we continue to worship in song and prayer and sacrament, uh, respond as the Holy Spirit leads you. Amen. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.